Welcome to The Uncertainties, the podcast for 20-somethings who don't quite have their shit together yet. I'm your host, Karis, and I started this podcast because the last few years have been a huge learning curve for me. Entering the world of work, moving out of my family home, trying and often failing to live up to the challenges of being a fully-fledged adult. It can be overwhelming at the best of times, and I know that I'm not the only person who feels like this because I'm going to be speaking to a bunch of my friends and people that I admire about the struggles that they have faced and how they are able to absolutely smash life. Today's guest is a maths grad that is now busy playing with lipsticks, a beauty nerd that is passionate about racial equality. Shay is a self-professed jack-of-all-trades and a master of some. In the past, she's interned for leading beauty magazines in the UK, including Elle, Marie Claire and the Sunday Times Style. As a freelance journalist, she's written for British Vogue, The Telegraph, The Irish Times Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Stylist, and she's interviewed Queer Eye icon Jonathan Van Ness, Gossip Girl's very own Ed Westwick, and the queen of hot girl summer herself, Megan The Stallion. Now she's starting a new chapter in London while she works as the beauty and entertainment assistant for Glamour magazine. So welcome, Shay Mamona. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. It's so nice to have you here. I know. I'm actually... This is my first podcast. Is it? Yeah. No way. Yeah. You would have thought that Glamour would have a podcast or something. Not yet. Not yet. Oh my God. But yeah, well, I think this is my first podcast. So this is major. This is so exciting. It's a moment. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, how's, how's life? You recently moved to London. Yeah, I literally moved two days ago. So I didn't no, realize it was okay. Yeah, oh yeah, my like, god! Wow, I thought yeah, it was so, a week ago. Okay. No, so I was supposed to move a week ago, but then COVID. COVID. Yeah. yeah because COVID. Yeah. yeah, because COVID. But pri- I did live in London, obviously, but I moved back to Shropshire to my parents' home because uh, of the pandemic. COVID. Yeah. COVID mm-hmm. seems mm-hmm. to be the reason for yeah. a lot of things. There's a recurring <laughs> theme here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I'm back because life is getting back to normal, and I have so many things to do here. I'm a, very busy person thank god yeah. <laughs> yeah oh I was wondering because I didn't know if you were based in London before or if this is like your first time in London no or, okay. uh, yeah I've been I moved to London after uni so maybe 20 end of 2016 right okay and then I left again in 2018 and then I moved to Portugal back to Portugal because that's where I'm from and oh I, I moved didn't know there. that that's yeah Portuguese cool. born and bred nice <laughs> So what, you lived in Portugal for how long? So I moved to the UK when I was like 14, maybe 13. And then moved again in 2018. I can't remember. How old was I in 2018? Who knows? Like, (laughs) whatever old, however old I was then. Some like Yeah, 20s, I think. Like 22, four. (laughs) Somewhere in that ballpark. I have a maths degree, guys. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Anyways, uh, so yeah, I moved there for like, a year like okay. eight months to a year and I was like interning and just trying to get to grips with the industry and trying to figure out what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and that was like the perfect place to do it because you can be stressed and go to the beach when you're stressed oh my god yeah it's just down the road yes. and you can enjoy the winter because it's not that cold it's actually you can go out in a t-shirt in the winter and oh, it was the best uh, time to be struggling <laughs> This English summer has hit me so hard. No, it was like a really bougie struggle, you know? Because obviously <laughs> I was like a um, paid intern. And then they did start paying me after a while. But like, I was like, it was like a bougie struggle, to be honest. It was like a really nice time to be struggling. Fair <laughs> enough, yeah. And figure yourself out, you know? Oh, nice. So do you think that you'll ever move back to Portugal? 
I don't know. I don't. My career is like here at the moment, but mm. I think that I probably would move to like retire. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. But this sense. is the thing. My like my family is there. Like my sister, my older sister is there. She's like my best friend. My younger sister is here, but she, like, we are very, ho- like, we get homesick all the time. Yeah. So we go home all the time. So I could imagine if there was a purpose for me to go back, I would. Mm. But because I've kind of I'm building my career here, this it doesn't really seem. Like right now, is yeah. Not right the now, time. it's not really part of the plan. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Are you close with your sisters? Then is that hard? Yeah, me and my sisters them? are so close. It's so funny because we're always been apart. Like not really? always, but when I moved, when we moved to the UK, me and my little sister moved together while my and my parents, while my older sister went to uni in America. So obviously, this is a big distance. And I have an older brother as well, and he always lived in France in Paris because he's our half brother. So we're right. so funny because I feel like the reason why we're probably so close is because we don't really have time to argue because we don't see each like, other. Yeah, yeah and all then you the value time. the time that you have together. Exactly, exactly. So, so basically, every sibling should just live thousands of miles away from each other. Period. <laughs> it, it works a dream. But, but when I moved back to Portugal, we, me, and my older sister, we're living together for the first time since we were like since I was you know thirteen. And obviously I was in my 20s then. It was the best year ever. We had so much fun. Oh, like we nice. literally had so much fun. And then I literally was like so sad to come back. Obviously oh. I was excited for my new life. And obviously I got all these cool internships. But I was like, she's when like When you have like a perfect part. amount of time with someone yeah. and you're like, oh, it's and it happened the same. The same happened when I went home for during COVID. Because obviously I was hanging out with my little sister. And we were like in the same house all the time. And we hadn't lived together since I left for uni in Aww, 2016. Yeah. So back, you know, you come 2020 and we're, ha- we're living together again. Like in your so, family home as well. That yeah. must be so bizarre. It like yeah, feels in really your childhood like, room. Yeah. yeah we're, and the wallpaper is like flowery. And you're like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody bothered to update that. <laughs> when I was away so rude but when I moved I, when we went to sc- we basically I went to this school and they had like quite a lot of foreign students I went to I went to school in Birmingham for maybe three months before okay. I moved to deep into Shropshire and then in that school they had like quite a lot of international students so they would take you to this class where you learn English but literally like at 13 you're not trying to learn what cat and dog is yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like I'm, I was a mathematician even then I was like I'm trying to learn hard maths why am I missing my normal class to be here and I just stopped showing up and everyone thought like I was like skiving not knowing that I was in my actual class that I was actually supposed to be in not understanding a thing but I was there um, important, most importantly, yeah, and it went, you were showing up. Yeah, yeah, I was showing up, and I think that really helped me. That's why I picked up English so fast because I just got thrown in a deep end. So mm. you obviously you mentioned that you um, studied maths. You're mm. a mathematician. You uh, you graduated Burley. <laughs> no, I mean that's a huge accomplishment. Like I can barely do my times tables anymore. It's actually I joke. can't do it either anymore. It's, it, it's it, went, it went in one ear. I did the exams. <laughs> I passed. Yay! It went out and the then, other. Boom! There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, you studied at Cardiff University, mm-hmm. right? And then, I mean, I think a lot of people would see a degree in maths and then finding your way into fashion journalism as like a very large pivot. Yeah. I'm just wondering how you made that transition or did you, yeah. did you ever even consider the idea of doing um, a career that was kind of maths, like mathsy? Or was um, it always like, I love fashion, I love beauty, this is what I want to do? This is the thing. It was intentional, but not at the same time. I, when I kind of, when I, so basically what I ended up doing maths just because 
I actually wanted to do dentistry at one point. I know, weird. Oh my God, no, no, no. My sister wanted to do dentistry. Really? So when I hear other people, I'm like, oh. There they are. They're out there. They're out there. It is like I don't know why. an incredibly just... well-paid job. Exactly. Not that that's the reason that you should get the job. I really want to reiterate sure. that. But... Girls need to get paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know right? what I mean? Right? Am I right? Um, um, and also, I feel like, I don't know, I find it quite fascinating, like the, yeah. the, the biology of it in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was quite cool. Um, but when I went to sixth form, I went to like, I went from a comprehensive, um, like, secondary school to a grammar sixth form and that transition was so difficult for me like really really difficult so in the first year that I was supposed to get really good a level ASs so then Mm. I could apply for dental school my ASs were really really bad but I I know myself in it and I believe in my source so I knew I was gonna do well and just pick it up but basically my teachers didn't so I couldn't physically they wouldn't give me any good predicted grades and I couldn't physically apply to anything because I just had really terrible ASs. Yeah. I, th- I had like CDU or something like that. Just the transition into a uh, different space in general yeah, also affected me a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Um, And it, I was so busy doing all the other extracurricular stuff as well. It was just like... An, um, uh, it's a lot. It's a yeah, lot. It's a lot of things. Yeah. But yeah, my headmaster literally hated me. Oh my gosh. Shout out to you, okay? Because he's yeah, a mess. cuss him right now. <laughs> no, no. I will cuss you today. No, because he was literally a mess. He was such a mess. He's a horrible man. And he literally basically almost threatened to kick me out of the school just because really? it was like a really you know strict grammar school so he was like if you don't if you don't if you're not gonna get the grades we can't have you here basically right um and i was like you know i'm gonna get my ish together it's fine so i did get my ish together in the end but obviously by the time i got to my a levels obviously i did very well to be doing maths but i um just couldn't i had to wait another year to be able to apply to dental school so then when I remember on results day, everyone was like, so excited to go to uni. I was like, I want to go to uni as well. And mm. then I and then I told my teachers, I was like, look, I got these all these A's and A's stars. <laughs> Can I, do you reckon I could go to uni this year? And they were like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Just, absolutely. What do you want to do? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and they were like, do, what you, do whatever. So then I called universities and I did the reverse. I called them and I was like, hey, I want to go to your uni. What can you offer me? <laughs> I like that. So then I got really rogue like offers. So that's how I ended up doing maths. I, oh my God. I had like an offer for like child nursing, one for mental health science. I had one for uh, politics at Durham. Like I just Jesus. Had, oh my yeah. God. It was like really rogue. And Is that so bizarre? Do you think about that now? You're like, oh my God, if I had chosen, if I chosen politics at yeah. Durham, like where would I be now? I think about that. Uh, I think that's about like that every that's time. That's a sliding doors moment where you're yeah. literally like, oh my God, my life could have gone in like 10 different directions. Yeah, everything. Every That's time so something good happens, it's so funny that you ask that. Every time something good happens, I always think about the oh journey. My gosh, the the gets journey. You and I always mm. think about if I'd gone to Durham, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, so then, yeah, that's how I ended up doing maths. And then I just wanted to, to get a degree because I have African parents. Mm. <laughs> so there was very limited options as to what you can do. Yeah. You, you know the drill, yeah, you know, yeah, doctor, yeah. engineer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Exactly. So then I, as soon as I graduated, I knew I didn't want to do anything with it. And I, I did struggle. <laughs> I did hate it. <laughs> yeah, because I guess, is it difficult then? So immediately after you graduated, were you applying for jobs in beauty and fashion and in journalism? No. Or did, you, is, I did, did it take you a while to get I did there? consider going into engineering Okay. Um, and then like getting a master's. So then that, that was definitely that consideration. But I always knew that I wanted to do something creative, but right. I didn't quite... I kind of wanted to do fashion, but I didn't quite know how to get into it. And it just so happened that I used to work at Abercrombie part-time at Hollister. Nice. Nice, yeah, so, nice. So As then, one of the, like, models. 
well they call it brand reps now yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um so uh, I, I know, at least you got the cool up i definitely didn't know <laughs> Every every day is a new person would come into school and be like, I work at Abercrombie now, or I work at Hollister. And I'd be like, just waiting by the phone, waiting for my call. Oh Thanks. my gosh, you and know it, it never came. Do you know what's so I'm funny? I did. This is the thing. I lo- oh my gosh, the time that I was there, I loved. I had such a great well, time. Well, I guess it's like everyone's really never, young and yeah, like it's so fun. Exactly. What happened is I ended up doing a graduate scheme after working there for like three years as a brand. Oh rep. nice. Yes, because they had a graduate scheme, and I was like, I'm. Every day I come in, banter with my friends in flip flops. Like this is great, and you get paid for it. This in is... flip flops, the flip flops are very. Like, that's an important, <laughs> really important part of the job, bro. It's like you have to wear flip flops. Yeah. So I was like, this is great. Let me do that. And to be honest, um, it's kind of like you know what? It's twenty twenty one. We've done BLM, so let's just be truthful in it. I don't think the company supported people like me. Yeah, no, I can imagine. So then I kind of it got to a point that I very much knew. I'm not even not even gonna get into like the details of it, but I, I very much knew that I couldn't progress further, mm. and I had a very very strong feeling slash a lot of evidence that was based on the fact that I was a black woman and a black woman with a voice. So the moment that I clocked that, I knew I had to dip, and right. basically I it was like. It was so funny because I even I ended up getting another job in retail management and they actually contacted me on LinkedIn and I didn't even search for that job, which is insane. Wow. But yeah. that that specific day that they contacted me, I'd applied for like fifteen jobs. And it's so funny because when I left, when I handed in my notice, my because I was like an assistant manager, my like senior, um, he basically was like, I hope you're not leaving because of me. And then you what know, a strange thing to say. Yeah, but like it wasn't strange because guilt. he knew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And obviously, it wasn't just him. It was like a, a bit as the company, culture. the culture of the yeah, company as totally. a whole. But one thing, God, I w- what a shitty thing because yeah, yeah, that's a total admission of guilt, and it, it's knowing that like yeah, that you've pushed someone out, someone out. Yeah. For- the culture and like how you've treated them yeah and instead of I, just looking at yourself and being like i obviously need to change like exactly what a douche literally no it's 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 so crazy because um i just i'm just shocked that for example when it came to blm mm. he did the whole black square thing oh fuck <laughs> oh most fucking performative uh, allyship yeah, i've ever seen yeah. in my life. i mean yeah yeah, yeah there's and, always gonna be that dickhead and you're just like i know you yeah you piece of shit okay? exactly yeah you should have like called them out no on i but i did, did not you? publicly i oh. sent him a dm and i didn't get a response yeah <laughs> he went on private <laughs> and then he, he he he's back open now he's probably, he probably thinks i forgot about it but people don't realize that this is traumatic experiences yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it like shapes that- who you are as well it's like i'm obviously going to remember that incredibly traumatic time yes. in my life like <laughs> like i you just you know for racism is not forgetful yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. i mean you just oh my god i forgot the racism happened like no like this is something that you carry throughout your whole life yeah, and people, totally. it's literally it's actually the smallest things like the microaggressions that kind of then shape how you navigate life as well because mm. I was really on edge about everything. I'm suspicious about everybody. I don't trust any of my management because I always just assume. But this is based on past experiences. Previous experience. Yeah. You're so right. Like it affects your professional and personal, personal life. life. And I'm so glad you said that because I literally had this conversation with a few people before and I was so shocked that they felt the same. And I was like, yeah, we all feel the same. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Oh my God, yeah. I'm not. I, yeah, I'm not. Because yeah. I, I literally thought I was a bit crazy for a bit because I was like, I'm I'm just seeing negative and everything. That's not even my personality. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. But sorry, I went on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Such a 
long winded story but basically yeah I knew then that I wanted to do something sort of like an industry I liked mm. fashion I liked beauty but obviously I didn't really quite know how to get into it also I I was very aware that English is not my first language so I never really considered a writing role for my not because I didn't want to I really dreamed about it but I just wasn't realistic mm. so then when I went to so I when I went to Portugal I was like a re- I had like an epiphany and I was like I can really do what I like what I set my mind to and my parents really backed me and I really appreciate them for that because it was so abrupt it literally was like overnight and I packed my I was supposed to go on holiday there anyway and then just to visit my sister and then I was like by the way I'm gonna be staying indefinitely <laughs> surprise surprise yeah. Even, it was the same with her so shout out to her to Patricia because she was like, well, how long is this going to be? I was like, I don't know. She was like, fine. <laughs> oh, bless. Do you know what I mean? What can you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, and I was like, yeah, and by the way, I'm jobless, so you might have to pay the bills. So is that? You're right. She's like, I mean. She had your back. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. And then that. when I was there, I was doing, um, so I applied for like loads of internships there in magazines. Well, they didn't have internships like you just I just emailing people mm-hmm. I just found them on LinkedIn or whatever and didn't hear anything and then um my sister's like in the in she's kind of like um quite a well-known person in Portugal she's an athlete so people know her so then she kind of like knew someone that potentially knew someone in a PR company that like represented like just like really cool like edgy brands or whatever and I interned there as a it was kind of like a PR role, but then I interned in the showroom. So I was like a showroom manager. So it wasn't anything like groundbreaking, but I learned so much in that role. And mm. the people that I met there, they're still my friends to this day. So, and then from that point on, I just knew that I really, if I put my mind into something, I probably could just do it. Yeah. So then I carried on hustling and I, one day I just decided to DM Fermi Fato and she is the contributing beauty director at Vogue. And I was like, let me DM her. I don't care. Like, if she replies, she replies. She doesn't, she doesn't. And she replied. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. She's a busy person. Why did she reply to me? And I just asked her, I was like, I'm a big fan and I really like, I love your work. How can I do what you do? Yeah. <laughs> and she like gave me like a list of pointers of things that I should do in order to kind of like get into the industry. Fast forward like eight that's months. Amazing. Had my first job at the Sunday Times and the first person to congratulate me was her. That is such a lovely, that's an amazing story. Yeah, and be, in between that time, obviously, I interned, like, everywhere. I yeah, did, like, a yeah, solid, yeah. like, four or five months of interning at all the magazines. And that was a lot of, like, networking, a little element of, like, serendipity, I guess. But mm. I'm, I'm, I'm God-fearing, so actually, I just feel like I was just blessed in it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't luck, it was blessings. <laughs> it was planned. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was at Cosmo. I started off at Grazia and shout out to the team there because they basically without like really them they, yeah they took you. a chance on and me and then it, like opened the door opened the so doors once you get that first internship the other ones start rolling ball, in yeah, that's why imagine. i say to all my interns that come in to glamour or even to style when i was there i was they always ask me i'm like they always like see my cv and they're like well, how have you done all of this in such a short period of time and i'm like there's a couple of things mostly is like get your foot in the door in the first place just find your way in email everyone and second of all, just be really nice. Yeah, and curious as and well. And be curious, yeah. ask questions, because to be honest, like in an internship, you're there for a week to maybe three max. You don't have time to be doing up, you know, flexing, amazing features, like interviewing Jonathan Van Ness. You're not doing any of that. Mm. But you are literally just cleaning the beauty cupboard. 
Yeah, like these people are like everyone is so willing to give you their time, even if it was like mm-hmm. five minutes. You take them a coffee, you like chat to them. Mm-hmm. There, everyone is actually you don't realize it, but people are really generous with their time, and also people love talking about themselves. And like, Her, period. That's why I love you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but it's so true. Like you forget how much people love talking about themselves and their journey. And so if you show a little bit of curiosity, they'll be like, yeah, 100%, I'll tell you how I got here. And it's like those little nuggets of wisdom that you get from them. And you're mm-hmm. like, this is so helpful. And then like, as you say, like you've got, you've made so many amazing like connections yeah. have, and like relationships that mm-hmm. have like helped to get you to kind of where you are and like sustained relationships as well yeah. from like your very first job to, to now. It's like pretty insane. much. I will tell you something, pretty much from the first internship that I did, every single other situation, whether it's an internship or a job I've got, it was through recommendation. It was someone, and for the most part, it's not even people that are like my best friends. Mm. It's just somebody that really just believes in you and they have no loyalty to you, but they just think you're nice and you work hard. And I'm just like, it really amazes me because yeah. that's why I do, I do it all the time. Like I'll meet an intern for a week and they'll give me an impression for five minutes because that's as much interaction I've had time to have with them. And you can, and you're just like, I feel like I can help you. Oh my God. You want, you want to be helped. Do you know yeah. what I just thought in that, in, as you were saying that? Do you remember the like montage of Lady Gaga being like, there can be 99 people in a room. Yeah. All it takes is that one person <laughs> who believes in you. That's literally what that just reminded me. But it's literally <laughs> fun. No, I mean, that, that impression. Lady. Beautiful. I, thank Beautiful. you. Thank you. It's not my first time. <laughs> um, but it, it's actually, it is so true. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to talk about the amount of inclusion and mm-hmm. like and diversity that you're able to bring to the fashion and beauty industry. Like I was reading your article, I've been reading your articles over cool. like the Thanks. last few weeks. <laughs> and you're talking about like protective hairstyles for Afro hair, like knotless braids, um, coming back into fashion and trying the um, Amazon, the new Amazon yeah. hair salon for oh, like gosh. curly and coily hair, which sounds like it was a bit of a nightmare. Mm. But um, <laughs> it's like, just reading all of this stuff, I was just like, I feel so happy. And it's also just so crazy that I am reading this in like a mainstream publication. Because I remember, yeah. you know, like three, four, five, six years ago, like that just was not the case that you would yeah. have that. And like, I mean, the whole of the noughties was essentially just like the fashion and the style was basically catered towards like a blonde white woman, like a skinny yeah. blonde white woman. Yeah. It was not like in any way inclusive at all. Mm. How do you feel being able to like, yeah, like bring bring a new perspective to the industry and like help see it evolve and become more diverse? So there's two things to that. Firstly, um, my team, right? Like I'm literally so lucky to be at Glamour. Like I think about that all the time because I, I've had many jobs before, even before doing journalism. It's just so difficult to find yourself in a space that you don't feel welcomed in. Mm-hmm. So being there, first of all, just gives me the confidence to just be my truer self. And then, for, and then my, my managers, like my directors, my editors, they're amazing. They're so, they, you know, our team, there's still room to grow. There's, you know, we're, we're diverse, but there's always more room for yeah, more people like me, for sure. But they are aware of that and they are so conscious of like how I feel and they it's just like it's just so awesome because I, I feel really, really comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then with that, it means that when I'm comfortable, my personality is just to 
I don't know. I've always been like, I'm the middle child. So I have middle child syndrome in it. <laughs> so like, I'm going to call out everything because nobody's <laughs> listening. You guys are caring about, you know, the oldest sibling, the youngest sibling, the baby. <laughs> so you have to fetch for yourself. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Because of that, I think that I'm very, I mean, obviously there's, I always, I do have my boundaries for sure. And I think that you can always be more comfortable. I'm more comfortable in my, this, my own space in my own home of course mm. and there are things that are probably sometimes even the amazon thing when it came out i was really stressed about it i'll be honest because don't really have amazon mon- money to get sued you know what i mean like if, if they sue me like with whose money are we gonna counter sue do you know what i mean <laughs> but like um i just feel that i have i have this amazing privilege where i can be in a space that hundreds and thousands of people can read my work why the hell would I not tell them what is happening, what the real deal is? That w- I would be doing a disservice for myself and for everybody like me, for my family, for my siblings, for all my friends, and for every little girl that, you know, just realizes that, gosh, I'm a bit different and it's kind of trash because I can't change the things that I'm different about and mm. the- it's things that I have no control over, you know what I mean? So if I have this platform, I'm going to use it. And it's so cool because especially since BLM, there's actually room for us to be outspoken about things and and have less consequences. Yeah, totally. So it's, I think that that helps the industry evolve. And I think that's why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be part of this industry now and I'm proud to be a journalist. I think that maybe five years ago, I wouldn't have been as proud or as open. Yeah. And even just, I was looking on, on the website today and, watching um they're like i love all the like makeup trials where it's like you have different people in your office trying like different foundations for example and different Mm. makeup because that's yet another thing that's been part of the the beauty industry where it's like yeah like a a foundation that everyone talks about and then you're like well they obviously don't have it in my fucking shade like (laughs) and it's so great to see you guys like doing stuff like that where you're like trialing stuff and and just being really inclusive so I'm so um, glad you sh- you said that because my team are really gonna appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> no, because I think this is something that we think about. This is like not and accidental. Also, like, different skin types and yeah. things as well. Like just everything about it. Like the idea of doing because you know you always see that where people like try on different makeup mm. and it's like that's t- that is totally different on like an olive skin person as opposed to a black person as opposed to mm-hmm. a mixed race person as opposed to a, an incredibly pale person like so the fact that you guys are doing stuff like that it's like such yeah. a it's such an easy thing to think about yeah. and like that you would think that people have done by now but i think it's like the first place that i've seen yeah uh like a, a i think it is as well do. i think we are on quite honestly and I, I think that's something that makes me really proud to be part of the brand we have to think about everything we think about these things we we constantly trying to sense check and making sure that we're you know as respectful as inclusive as possible but also keeping journalistic integrity so it's really nice to hear actually that because this is something it's not it's not accidental we really are intentional about like the things that we feature even when you talk when you talk about foundations like if we truly believe that this foundation is not inclusive best believe that PR's got an email from somebody <laughs> and the, at Condé Nasdaq.co.uk do you know what I mean like yeah. somebody whether it's like somebody on the team would have called it out and it would have been like sorry excuse me sorry um, <laughs> um can we talk about your celebrity interviews because this is so yeah. 
freaking awesome so obviously i mentioned the introduction you've spoken to a bunch of amazing celebs like just before we started this podcast you were talking about um willow smith um we have to talk about megan the stallion because that's insane and jonathan van ness because i am such a huge fan of um queer eye love it <laughs> what is the process like of setting up a celebrity interview like what is the process from starting like asking the questions to getting into the room or zoom room with yeah. that person to the kind of post interview like editorial stage okay so it changes pretty much every time well it doesn't change every time but it really does depend I'll be honest because I'm so new I haven't done many in-person interviews so I can't even tell you the insight of what it'd be like mm. to be in a junket in real life oh my god Do you know what I mean yeah and I'm really excited about that but I don't have that experience I I'm trying to think if I've interviewed anybody in real life that was like a big celebrity and I don't because I wonder like do, where yet. do you go do you go to like a? I guess it's maybe like a hotel room yeah or you'll go to like or... a she- you'll go to places like this to be honest like um yeah, Does that make should... me a celebrity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in terms of Zoom, it really does depend of like the the celebrity. For example, for Jonathan Van Ness, it was obviously IG Live. Yes. So that was oh, so dude. stressful. My internet went down three times. Twice. Stop. Went down twice. Oh yeah. And he was so nice at the end of it. It was so oh, funny because my heart palpitations. If that happened, I would literally be like, No, oh, you don't I understand. Got, I literally got. I couldn't breathe. Uh, <laughs> But it's so funny because we both played it off really well. And then at the end of it, I was like, oh, well, our time's, you know, just coming to an end, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, no, we've been cut off so many times. Could we please have an extra five minutes? And I was like, oh, Oh my God. And then there was like, I don't know. There was like another celebrity waiting because we were doing like a, a rotation of lives. So then there was like another celebrity waiting. I can't remember if it was like a Charlotte Tilbury or someone. And I was like, I Girl, mean, Charlotte could wait. I was like, I'm not sure. Um, okay, yeah, an extra five minutes. And I could see my WhatsApp of my team being like, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have to wrap it up. I was like, let me take my time. Yeah. <laughs> let me take my time. Jonathan's asked for five. Jonathan's getting five. Okay, people. Period. <laughs> oh my so god. Then, yeah. So then that's and then also there's like. I'm not like I feel like I don't want to mention like specific names or anything, but there's celebrities that they will be really open and be like, ask me anything, and it won't even be them. Sometimes it's that PR. This is another thing that I learned is that with celebrities, a lot of the stuff that you don't like about celebs is not on them. Is yeah. about on, is on their team. So say if you like can't get an interview with some specific celebrity, they probably have nothing against you or your brand. It's just their PR is probably maybe a bit snobby. Do you mm. know what I mean? Or, mm. Or they're a bit strict because sometimes they will say, for example, um, when I interviewed Ed Westwick, which also was on live on TikTok, there was things that we, we didn't we there were things we didn't really want to talk about, but you actually mentioned them. So then I kind of played with it along, like gossip girl things, right? Okay. Because he kind of wants to move forward from that, and now I, th- I thought that was a fair thing, but I didn't think like I got told not to ask it, but. He mentioned it, so then I kind of went along with it. Right. So yeah. clearly, this is more something to do with their team. With the team, and I get, I get it. Like they have to be protective of their their brand, celebrity, yeah. or whatever. But, and to um, be fair, I haven't actually had a bad experience with like, um, like their t- people's teams. But also, I'm so new. Like this is all yeah. coming from like a very inexperienced person, <laughs> by the way. These all like. One of my, you know what? One of my favorite interviews that I've done recently it wasn't even somebody super big, but it was literally like so awesome. It's Tiffany Carver. She's um, 
BBC Radio 1 presenter. She's DJ. She DJed for um, Drake. She went on tour with him. Oh, awesome. Um, she she's not like a huge like she's not like a you know a huge she's not like in Hollywood or whatever mm. but it was one of the most valuable like interviews that I've done because I learned so much and I learned so much about my interviewing skills as well because you kind of learn to get things out of people and there were stories that I I've seen other interviews of her and she did like a cover interview for another magazine and like the things that she was telling me I didn't see anywhere so I wow. thought that was cool yeah. yeah and I think that that's one of the things that you learn when you're conducting in celebrity interviews, you learn a lot about yourself and about your style. Interview and actually, style. you will see that some interviews will go better than others, but sometimes it might not have to do with the with the celebrity. It might have to do with you. Mm-hmm, I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting because I was actually just about to ask you, like, what... I guess, do, do you get pieces of advice from celebrities? And if Always. you do, what are the pieces of advice that you've that have like really stood out to you that like you still think about or that have like helped you in your career since so that's one thing I always do I always ask for advice I'm like for your fans or for girls that want to do it like <laughs> on behalf of your fans I need it. I need all the advice. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, for that. girls that, you know, all the little girls out there, the five-year-olds, the, you know, the 14-year-olds in school, but is my 26-year-old ass yeah. wants that advice. Um, I was just telling him, I was like, I want to, you know, just be happy and I want to do something that I really do enjoy. And I feel like I know it, but not quite. I kind of was really wishy-washy about my thoughts. Right. And he felt like I was all over the place. And one thing he said to me, he was like, and it's so funny because if he listens back to this, he's going to be like, I didn't be there like that, but that's how you said it. And like, he's one of our best friends, so it's fine. But he said, you know, sometimes we just gotta have to find your lane and stay in it. And I, in hindsight, I know what he meant, but at the time, what that meant to me was that he really put me in a challenge. I was like, you challenge me now to move out of my lane. Because mm. you know when somebody tells you to do something that you don't want to do, you're definitely not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. So... It's so funny because then I interviewed a couple of people recently and I've asked them like about their best and worst advice that they've ever been given. And a lot of them say that their worst advice is to stay in your lane in some capacity. In, mm. And then in other words, and I was like, that's, that's great. Really so that actually the advice is to not take on that advice. Like to <laughs> do not stay in your lane. There you can be that's why I always say I'm a jack of all trades, master of some, because you can really be good at more than one thing. Yeah, totally. And we're millennial women, so and Gen Z women. So we are multifaceted. We have all these really cool things that we want to do. We have social media and social media you can incorporate all these things. You can incorporate makeup, um, fashion beauty skincare uh financial advice whatever you want so why would you stay in your lane that sounds like it's gonna stunt your bag do you know yeah, what I mean? you're like cutting yourself off from yeah. so many opportunities instead of like embracing it honestly when i when i read that you had said i'm um a jack of all trades and master of some i was like if there is one thing that like i wish i had like said about myself i need to trademark it yeah you do you 100 percent do because i was like damn that is so good but yeah like i 
I talk about this with my mates all the time, but like embracing the multi-hyphenate, like as you yeah. say, that is the like millennial Gen Z lifestyle, isn't it? It's just like, of course you would do that. I think it is a generational thing because that's the sort of advice that a lot of older people yeah, would tell totally. me. Yeah. But I also feel like, I understand that in their time, it probably would have been the best solution. But I think in our time, it just doesn't apply anymore. Like, mm. when we, we don't stay at a job for 10 years anymore. We'll stay for a year and then move on to the next thing and to the next thing. And we dabble in different things. That's just a, a generational thing, right? So you kind of have to adapt and kind of go with the times. And the time right now is that you have to be really good at different things because you have to have multiple streams of income mm-hmm. like hello you can't just get one bag you have to get multiple yeah i totally get that do you know my other i was gonna say my other piece of advice that i uh, a few people have said and i'm like that's great is what i've said before is just be really nice yeah yeah it yeah. just gets you a really long and, way and also sometimes <laughs> you forget that people are in different stages of in this different stages of their life, they're in different places. Yeah. So people that you may think that are not in a place that they can help you, they may really be able to help you tomorrow. So if you're moving mad with them because they are beneath you in some capacity yesterday, tomorrow you will be shook because yeah. they could very potentially be able to help you, but you've fumbled your bag because you were rude for no reason. Like, yeah. unprovoked. you didn't need to, or you just weren't, or you just didn't respect them. Mm. Just be really nice. nice. (laughs) It's actually not that... You you don't have to be horrible. Like, it's actually not that serious. Life is not that serious. It's actually so tiring being, like, nasty or rude or or just, like, you know, kind of, like, not respecting someone based on whatever they have going on. I completely agree. Um, I also just have to ask, Megan Thee Stallion, did you interview her pre or post-WAP? So, it was... I need to know. Basically... I, I won't even talk much about it because it was just after her so she um, did like a make- shot. Oh, I was actually, yeah. I was wondering about this. Okay. Yeah, so everything was like really, really confidential. Right. And strict. Okay, I so. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. No, okay. but it was, no, but th- this is the thing. Um, Tomorrow, I'm going on, obviously, BBC Women's Hour and I'm going to be talking about Hot Girl Summer. <laughs> oh! Okay, nice. So um, I hope that now she sees me as her, you know, UK correspondent. (laughs) (laughs) And then we can be friends forever. That's basically my plan. Oh my God, that is just so insane. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm actually just so jealous. Um, I also really want to talk about your work because I, you know, I think a lot of people might look at beauty and fashion as not being too serious. And like, it Mm. sounds as though you don't like to take yourself too seriously, but... In recent uh, months, you have like tackled some really interesting and thought-provoking subjects. So mm-hmm. you wrote a really interesting article that I um, found really fascinating because you were talking about how you would actually rather not see black women represented mm-hmm. in Love Island. And I was like, this is so interesting because I've always been like the first uh, person to criticize it for lacking diversity. Mm-hmm. And then I read your article and I was like, you know what? This makes so much sense and I completely agree. Mm. But I was wondering if you could talk about your article and the reasons basically why you feel as though you would actually rather remove black women from from Love Island. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, to be fair, my thoughts are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So I'm not, I'm I'm not like strict on the fact that I definitely don't want to see black women on the show, but. I'm, what I'm really meant to say is that 
if they're going to be on the show, they right? Need to be they need to be protected yeah. and the show needs to be catered for everybody, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. for a specific group of women, aka dark features, <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes. <laughs> so we need we need to make sure that the space is safe yeah. for for them if they're going to be there. This is the thing, like it really just annoys me that it's been what? How many years Lavanna's been on? Maybe like, like seven years, six years. Yeah. Well, season, oh, it was season seven, so it's been six years, I'd assume. Okay, right? yeah. Because they had to the winter one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and also COVID, whatever, eight years, whatever. So you know, times have evolved so much, and we really think about diversity now. Like, we're you know, people have in their companies they have like quotas they have to meet on diversity which is i mean in it, that in itself is a bit ridiculous because i'm sure you could find black people that are good enough for the role without having like a, to find uh, a quota boxing, yeah like, exactly yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. but i just feel like with love island like black women really go there and suffer totally it's actually not it's that hard cute <laughs> it's it's hard yeah. You um, there was a uh, there was a tweet that was part that you like incorporated in your your thing, and it was it really hit home, and it was something like, oh, not me having to like relive my secondary school like <laughs> trauma through these like the black women that come on yeah. this show, and I was like, that is literally it down to a T. That's literally. exactly how it feels. You're like mm-hmm. you're watching this, being like, yeah, yeah, oh, I felt that. Oh God, it hurts. But like it. Yeah, it's it's hard viewing. I don't think that people understand. And you like, you make so many interesting points about like how Samira was treated. You want, I mean, you one day, I like yeah. actually breaks my heart every time I think about it. Yeah. But I mean, you yeah, I'm always just shocked at uh, how the Love Island producers like are more aware basically yeah. and are more willing to make it a a safe space for black women what do you think is the answer to it that's a good question um i think that the space they just need to create a safer space right it's actually it starts with the little things like for example i found out that actually i don't know if this season they've changed it but on previous seasons they didn't have they the girls get their hair and makeup and nails done every week out of oh yeah but then they didn't have anybody to do black hair so like their wigs the girls would have to do it themselves and things like that so then i'm just like why can't you even that's small small basic thing that's basic things you can just get a stylist there to do their wigs so then they can feel confident that's number in that show, is all about confidence, it's isn't it? Literally, the number it's literally one thing. just confidence. There's girls that are not that like. They, there's girls from all kind of like personality shapes. Like, well, not all personalities and no. not all shapes and not all sizes. <laughs> but there's a there's a, a small range, right, of mm. people, and they will find someone, right, on the show because you always end up with a good six couples by the end of it. So then, there is room for them to be made special. Right. But it's all about uh, part of it is about their confidence. But obviously, I I can't say I can't sit here and say, oh, the black girls that went there, they weren't confident. No, they were actually really confident. But then that was intimidating for people there as well. Mm. But it's just like you also need to allow room for girls like them, girls like us to feel confident and then not be judged by it. Like Mm. it's not you. We can be confident without, you know, being intimidating or all the other things that we attach confidence to when we term in terms of women, especially black women. Yeah, because confidence on anyone else is seen as really sexy. Yeah, and then on a, like on a black woman is seen as like arrogance, arrogance, or intimidation, totally aggressiveness. Yeah. yeah. So, 
also that they basically need to just change the mindset of the you know the people that go on the show like if you're gonna bring out because i feel like sometimes the the producers kind of plan to bring out a specific person for a specific someone else mm. so everyone always gets that specific someone else except the black girls why there's like i know a lot of black people like i know a lot of them and a lot of them like other black people <laughs> Do you yeah. know what i mean mm. <laughs> so it's not like there's there it's not like in this world they actually are not liked and i think that we in, when, when you were talking about reliving your traumas in school and whatnot, we were conditioned in school to think that we weren't going to be good enough ever. And then when you grow up and a lot of our peers grow up and they're like, actually, like, that's not a thing. This is just something that I was taught, but actually I changed my mind. So when you grow older, you find out that actually that's not really true. Um, the other thing that you spoke about is you did an incredibly thought-provoking piece about Meghan Markle. And mm. I've recorded episodes on this podcast about Megxit, Megxit, um, and posted a lot on my Instagram about about um, Megan's treatment, basically, and the kind of smear campaign that's happened with her. And I always find myself really emotionally exhausted by that conversation. And why does it take so much out of me? And like, what, like, why am I mm. always feeling so emotional about it? And then you did this incredible quote that just really resonated. That was like, if no one was going to believe the claims of racism made by people with as much privilege and power as Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, what hope is there for someone like me, a 26 year old black woman living in the UK? Mm. And I think that's exactly it. It's like, even at the height of class and privilege mm. and, you know, platforms, if someone like that is being treated in that way, like, as you say, it just, it gives you a feeling of, like, hopelessness, I guess, yeah. doesn't it? Like, within your, like, standing in society. Mm. And I think that's the thing that I was, like, really grappling with. And that's why I'm so, like, almost protective over Meghan Markle. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely do not see her and think that she's, like, a perfect human in yeah, any definitely. form. But I think the reason that I get so protective over her and, like, the smear campaigns and the conversation that surrounds her is that exact exact reason like you like crystallize it perfectly what are your thoughts on the the situation and um you wrote you actually wrote two pieces about it didn't you so you did one before was it you did one before the interview and one after um i did one about the bullying allegations oh that was it yeah and then i did one oh my gosh i've written so much i can't even remember what the other one was so (laughs) much but yeah these are my thoughts so i i Meg Mark is probably one of my dream interviews. Like it's her and Michelle Obama. They're like my dream interviews mm-hmm. to do in this life, God willing, and Drake. <laughs> <laughs> um but um this is the thing. I the reason why I really appreciate like her like journey is because she's very she's like a perfect, imperfect person. Mm. She's like not she's not perfect as you were saying and she makes a lot of mistakes but they kind of like are so human but then you forget because she's literally a whole princess <laughs> like an yeah. actual whole princess so then i like that for the first time i'm seeing royalty that are like normal it felt like she felt so normal to us and when this is the thing i never i'm a dark skinned woman so i never I f- probably see life a little bit different than like my my siblings my are all like like lighter skinned, so I probably see life differently than they do. So and I probably see as they have a, a element of privilege, like more than 
myself. Mm. So then when I kind of first, when she kind of first came into the picture, I really didn't feel, I didn't feel connected because there was that disconnect because we were not the same. Mm -hmm. So that was my first thought. And then when everything started happening, I was like, we are the same because we're getting treated the same even when you're here and I'm way, 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 way beneath you. So that actually made me more frustrated because I just, it just made me realize that no matter what I do, so every day I wake up and I try to be better than I was the day before and I'm trying to grow my career and climb the ladder and be my best self. But then what that just told me is that no matter what you do, you're really never going to be good enough for them, whoever they are. Mm. So then I feel so protective of her as you do because she's sort of like, adding the stepping stones so we can climb the ladder a little bit easier. Yeah, but like she's she struggling. Kind of, she represents all kind of young black women in yeah. a way, doesn't she? Yeah. I think that's why people feel like a special kind of affiliation. I'm sure. Yeah. And I think it's in a way, I think what she is for black women is probably what a lot of people felt like Princess Diana, Diana was. Yeah back in like the 80s and 90s yeah um, she was she was she was also seen as like, yeah. a, normal, like a normal yeah woman but i think and uh, people really have like a strong connection to that to don't that. they because mm-hmm. it's something that they can like really relate to relate to exactly exactly yeah. but what you you said is um that being the only black woman in the room can be incredibly taxing for one's mental health and trying to be visible and heard is nothing short of an encumbrance. Did I say that right? An yeah, yeah, yeah. I realise. It's just like a bit, it's like a mix of like, you know, it's just, it's just annoying, convenient. It's just like, it's just I realise I've like only ever jarring. written that word and I've never said it out loud. <laughs> so when I said it earlier, I was like, have I said that right? You said I that perfectly know. well. Oh my God, thank you so much. Not I have an your English. I know. When right. I don't even speak the language properly. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> please. I mean, um, but I just, yeah, I just, you mm. had so many really uh, strong quotes in the pieces that you've written that were really thought provoking, but that also really um, resonated with me. And I felt like really happy and proud that we've got journalists that, are being given a platform to firstly like write these kind of pieces. And I'm sure there are so many other young black women the same as me that are just like screaming with in in, in agreement with what you're with what you're saying, basically. But mm. also I imagine writing those pieces is actually really difficult because mm. I remember um you kind of prefacing it by saying like, look, I'm actually gonna talk about some personal experiences and it actually makes you have to kind of delve deep and relive a lot of past experiences and Mm -hmm. some are probably quite traumatic um and deeply personal and it's a very brave thing to do to make yourself that vulnerable Mm. what is the that writing experience like for you is is any part of that cathartic so yeah you spoke about um actually maybe it was you spoke about was it your head teacher yeah yeah listen so back to my team because they're so amazing um, this is how our um, planning process goes for any insight for... Well, to be fair, I don't know how other teams do it, but this is how we do it. Since the pandemic, we've been having Zoom meetings every morning and we discuss the ideas of the day. So then every morning, you kind of just pour your heart out for whatever thing has been bothering you on social media or politics or music, whatever, whatever it is. And we also talk about really fun stuff or really funny things. Mm. But there was a time, especially during that Christmas when everything with Meghan Mark was happening. And remember the Sainsbury's advert? I did yeah. an article about that as well. Yeah. And that that kicked, that went viral. And 
we go in the morning and then I just speak my heart out for like 10 minutes and I just vent and then my entire team of like 15 20 people however many there are and then we're they're all like oh my gosh like and they're so understanding and they're like I'm so sorry and I'm like no it's not it's not you I'm just like I just needed to vent and I feel so much better about it and then they're like if you want to write about it you can if you don't want to you don't want to and I'm like actually seeing how much better I felt just speaking about it like made me feel like if I write about it I'll feel like even 10 times more so that's what that's what I do and there have been times that I've vented and I decided not to write about it because it was mm. just way too taxing mm, mm-hmm. um there's been a couple of times not too many usually I can pretty much just find my composure but there's been one or two times that I've just like I physically can't write about this I don't physically I physically don't have the mental capacity to write anything to do with anything like this mm, mm-hmm. and they were like yeah that's that's absolutely fine but I was like if you want to give it to someone else and a freelancer or whatever, then I'd be happy because I want to see that. I just feel like it'll be helpful for someone else, but I physically can't provide it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the older I get, the more sensitive I get. Oh my God. Me. I'm so happy you say that. Me too. I had, I feel like I had like the hardest shell growing up Mm -hmm. and like nothing. Nothing. I was like notorious of being that person was like, nothing made me cry yeah. I was like I guess I'm just like a pretty emotionless person yeah and now it's the opposite yeah. I can I can listen to a song that's not even soppy and I'm yeah. like weeping like a damn just like just small things now I'm like I am so emotional like oh my god it's insane oh my gosh we're literally on the exact same page the older I'm getting I'm like you know getting just more sensitive about things emotional about things but i think it's a good thing because the bottling up from those years are coming back it's coming back totally get that i totally get that but now that i've figured that out i'm very happy to just be really in my feelings and then accept that yeah ride it and then move on and then i feel like it like the the lingering pain like lasts less mm. do you know what I mean yeah, yeah it's actually a much healthier way of processing mm-hmm. things kind of brings me on nicely to uncertainty which mm. is obviously the basis of this podcast I would say every time I had a sort of uh, a positive change in my life the period just before that is full of uncertainty right so that's happened a couple of times in my life because I feel like I've had quite a lot of like sort of like pivots in my life Mm. maybe three or four that have been significant but every single time that happens the period just before is always really uncertain because you don't quite see you know you're close but not really because there's no certainty right Mm. (laughs) so I would say the that time that period of time that was one of the most uncertain ones because I went to Portugal with no money no job no particular like specific goal that I'm I knew I wanted to do like this kind I wanted to give a go at this journalism thing but I, in your mind you're kind of like I hope it works out but you kind of prepare yourself not to work out yeah so you think it kind of almost seems like a bit of a pipe dream at times yeah. like even like doing you know I think anything in a creative industry yeah because it's it's so it's not it's never a straight path mm. I think anything creative always feels a bit like a pipe dream so like there is a way to get there. It's just how the fuck do I get there yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like every time I have a big change, there's a really big, like the, a short term moment like of uncertainty where actually it's the best time to have it. 
because when you look back, it's really close. So you can still remember all the stress that you had because it was only yesterday. Mm. And then actually you really appreciate your new thing. Because I'm like, literally three months ago, maybe not three months, maybe five months ago, I literally was like, I don't know how I'm going to like pay my bills maybe because yeah. I'll be freelance again which is fine I'm sure I'll be fine but you say I'm sure you'll be fine but you don't know that yeah yeah, yeah. you don't really you're know you're just that. kind of like believing in the process I yeah guess. but you know what's so funny I feel uncertain today I feel uncertain all the time because I have I have really big dreams mm. really I don't share them all the time but um probably the closest people to me know maybe my sisters or whatever but my dreams are like huge so then for me it's like if I don't know that's going to happen, that's a moment of certainty. I don't know also, because there's no, because you were saying creative industries, we, there's no a direct route to anything. Mm. So then if there's not a direct route, then how do you plan? So if you don't plan, how can you be certain <laughs> that's going to happen? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, no I totally understand. So, that. yeah. So I'm in it right now. I'm, I feel like I'm <laughs> in a constant state of uncertainty. But the good thing is that I'm, when I'm in a space like this, where I'm really comfortable where I am at, that uncertainty is actually just fuel to like get me better at what yeah. I do. So it's not a bad thing. And you know what? I actually I have a phobia with comfort. Like, yeah, me too. Like, cause it's not comfort. I like I love comfort. You know, I'm I'm a babes that enjoys good the good life, the good <laughs> lifestyle. Not that kind of comfort. I'm th- I'm talking about like uh, settling. Actually, that's yeah. a better word for it. I'm really like it really scares me because obviously I come from a when my parents live in Shropshire. It's really small small town and there's a lot of small town mindset there and i literally would fear being like anybody that is still there like i said all the young people that are still there i'm no shade to you i i'm sure you're happy but yeah yeah. me big me (laughs) i it's not it's not for it's not a bit of me it's not a bit of me like being the big fish in a small pond is a scary thing sorry (laughs) scary (laughs) very scary but no like i i don't mind that but up until uh, until then, I really want to make sure that I live my life to the fullest, and I just don't think that I'd be able to do that in a, the bubble that you know the, the people like that are in. But I know that w- one day I'll want that, and it will be really, really great. I really believe that. Mm. And it's so funny. One of th- another really good advice that I got given, I just remembered. Share it, share it. Please. Was um, don't plan for things because. You know how we have this really amazing imagination? Well, I'm a God-fearing woman, so God has a bigger plan for you. He's got bigger, better imagination than you do. <laughs> so then um, it was Henry. She's a TV presenter and like she does like radio and stuff. And she was like, during COVID, what it really taught me that you can't plan for stuff. You can't over plan things. You, you can, sometimes plans are good to kind of give you an element of comfort. But... Have you noticed that the big changes in your life, when I was saying about uncertainty the time before, the biggest changes in my life and biggest changes in a lot of people's lives is when there there isn't really a specific route and path or there's a bit of uncertainty. So that actual element of not planning gives room for other things to flourish. Um, I also wanted to chat very quickly about um, role models. Mm? Who would you say are your biggest role models? Oh my gosh, I literally have so many. obviously my parents first of all like this is the thing about my parents they're so um imperfect they're literally so flawed like this is really flawed human beings but because they raised me they are automatically by default they're amazing (laughs) (laughs) no but the the thing is my parents are hustlers and i think that's where i got my hustle from my parents came from nothing 
like my mom really had my mom is both my parents are from angola and my dad is literally one of the most intelligent people i know like he's so smart he speaks a billion languages like seven languages and he's just like really like focused Mm. while my mom she's like really hard working but actually having that balance balance of both is perfect having finding that perfect balance of being you know working really hard and just like being focused and just believing in your source as well i think there's lots of people that write really well there's lots of people that are really good at like that have really brilliant ideas but actually you just need that little bit extra and i think that they gave me that little bit extra so yeah sorry that's a really long-winded way of saying my parents (laughs) no i love that i think that's a perfect way to unfortunately have to wrap up the podcast. No, we've been here for hours, haven't we? I know. <laughs> Part two coming soon next year. Yeah, <laughs> when honestly. I'm in another, when I've had another pivot. <laughs> no, this is this has been so lovely to chat. You've also just shared so much really great wisdom that I'm hoping that people will find really helpful as well. So thank you so much for thank doing you for this. Me. This, this has been the, so this fun. Has been the best. <laughs> like way to spend what is it today thursday afternoon i don't even know yet (laughs) no this has been so nice so thank you so much and also you are so welcome to come back anytime with my mug yeah my personalized mug (laughs) and if you enjoyed the if you enjoyed the episode please like rate and subscribe and the uncertainties will be back with another episode very soon bye